Hey, everyone. I'm so happy to have Beth Bears join me today on the podcast. I can't believe it's taken this long. I first met Beth when she would come singing down the halls on the Warner Brothers lot where she was shooting her sitcom Two Broke Girls. Now, Beth is on CBS's The Neighborhood. She's married and has her own podcast called Harmonics with Beth Bears. It's all about music, creativity, and wellness, probably what we all need right now. Later in the episode, I'm joined again by social psychologist, marriage, and relationship expert Eli Finkel, who has some qualified insight to offer our listeners. Lastly, I want to thank all of you again for your kind reviews and comments. Get in touch with us and tell us your story by finding the link on unqualified.com. I really, really love hearing from you. And now, here she is, Beth Bears. Ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to Unqualified with your host, Anna Ferris. I know. Oh my God. Is that a photo or a painting behind you? It's a photo from the set of Two Broke Girls that I asked them if I could have after and the photographer signed it for me. Oh, it's beautiful. It's so nice. We just moved. So we're like still doing the house, but this is like my podcast background. (laughs) I love it. Beth, we moved, I think like three years ago and we're still unpacking. Yeah. It's funny. I was thinking about you in the podcast and normally I'll have all kinds of things because I usually don't know a person very well. Right. (laughs) I miss you though. And I want to talk to you about how like your journey during this time, have you found out things about yourself that have come as a surprise? Yes. So we, like, the neighborhood went down. All the schools were out. We were still filming. I think we were, like, the last show that was still on a set, like, right at quarantine lockdown. But it was really weird. Like, the network run through. Everybody was, like, it was hard to laugh. Like, we were all scared. And then we thought we were coming back to work to film our last episode Monday and Tuesday. And then they called us Saturday night and we're like, this is full lockdown. But... I notoriously suffer from anxiety and panic. I think you and I have talked about this over the years and a hypochondriac. (laughs) So the beginning of COVID was like my worst nightmare. But I will say so much good came out of it. This traditional stuff of like meditation and my horse were amazing, but I noticed I was still more anxious than I've ever been. And that's when I really found like playing the banjo and music to sort of be what took me out of my head and into my body. And then, you know, that's where Harmonics, this new podcast endeavor sort of came to be. And now that's kind of been my like pandemic growth. And I get to ask all these people like, how do you deal with anxiety and panic? And can you help me through this, through the like intersection of like creativity and wellness? So it's been cool. I mean, it's been terrifying as a country and a society and scary. But don't you feel like you've come back to like what's most important, like family and the earth and yeah. Yeah, I do. I think that it's definitely framed some priorities in a very comforting way for me. Yeah. Which I really love. But Beth, I want to give you a compliment. I'm so in awe of how you can identify an agitation within yourself and then figure out a solution for it. Girl, it's years of therapy. (laughs) Oh, my God. I mean, it's years of, like, self-help, obsessed reading, spiritual reading. Like, if I told you how many deep dives I've done on, like, brain and, like, training your neurotransmitters to, like, rewire different pathways to, like, (laughs) 
combat your anxiety. And anxiety for me has been like a lifelong struggle. So I've read and done everything. Well, then working on Two Broke Girls, the sitcom world is incredible, as you know, for so many reasons. But it is like pace and stress intense. (laughs) I feel like you and Allison know, as Kat and I did, that like, it's also when a show is a two-hander, like what we had, like you're never not in a scene. And, you know, Two Broke Girls, I'm so glad I had that. That was my first experience with like professional Hollywood because I had basically come out of college from theater school. And that was amazing, but it was also like overnight the most pressure and a very high-filled pressure environment. And, you know, the anxiety, the panic, that's when I found Transcendental Meditation and Horses after my body had just like completely broken down. I got like this grayscale skin virus all over. And in the waitress uniform, I had to have like hair and makeup covered up. But I went to all these doctors, they couldn't figure out what it was. And then they were like, it's just you're under so much stress and like didn't get a period. And I just like, but I kind of think of it as a gift now because it taught me all the wellness things that now I use as tools right. to help me get through. No, you know? I think it's remarkable and I envy it. Maybe we could talk later and I'll tell you. <laughs> you could give me some assignments. I'll give you some. <laughs> I love your puzzle. That's very good for your mental health, Anna. I'm so proud. Do you think so? I do. I actually genuinely do. It's very good because you're in your body kind of because you're moving pieces, spatial awareness. You're not so up in your head. I love it. And then we'll get you on like a yoga nidra and some horse therapy and you'll be great. I want some horses. Okay. I love this. I feel like you would love horse therapy. I feel like you'd be super down for that. (laughs) I can't ride very well, but there's a human horse connection that feels inexplicable. And honestly, it's not even about riding. Like every therapeutic thing I found has been just on the ground, just like you said, interacting with them because they're so in tune. They're prey animals. So like they can sense if a predator is a mile away in grass. They're so in tune with what you're feeling. You have to show up authentically. You can't pretend around them. So it's really empowering too, because you realize they respond to you just fully being in the moment and present and yourself. And I think that's where the therapeutic element comes in. Yeah. So Beth, so you guys just moved. Just moved. And stressed of that stuff. Are you okay with like packing stuff? We just moved. It feels like we just moved, but it's really in like mid-July, basically. So it's like not just moved, but as you said, we're still sort of adjusting, but we love it. I mean, it's, it was like a long time coming and we're still sort of like getting furniture and things together, but it's just kind of nice to have a change of scenery, honestly, from quarantine in the other house. So we were like, ooh, new environment. (laughs) Totally. And have you found in Los Angeles, because I don't know if I have or if I will, my home neighborhood. I've lived here for like over 20 years, Beth, and I still like, I don't know what it is. You know, I moved so much growing up that like, A, moving just seems part of my life. And I went to UCLA. So I've been in LA now, God, since I was 18 and I'm about to be 35. So it feels like home, but I'm with you. I wouldn't say I found like a neighborhood. I feel like for me, my goal is to live in upstate New York on a rescue animal farm someday because I grew up in rural Virginia. So I grew up like with woods and horses around and neighbors, you know? So I don't know if LA will ever truly feel like home, but it's the longest I've lived somewhere. I know. I feel the same way. If you could live someplace for a year, anywhere in the world, where would it be? 
Well, it's a tie because if it was for a year only, mm-hmm. I've been dying to see like sort of rural Scotland, Ireland. Like I'd love to live on like a, in like a little stone cottage and make like herbal teas and have like horses overlooking cliffs of oceans in like Ireland, Scottish Highlands, like that area. But upstate New York is like ultimate 10-year goal dream. Beth, do you miss weather change in LA? I miss it so <laughs> much. I didn't used to. Because you're not saying like southern France or something. Or like Mexico. I know, no. I do actually, especially with climate change, it feels like it's getting so hot and the wildfires here. Like I want to be somewhere where like, I don't know if you remember, but sledding, like growing up doing that. I want my kids to someday to have like that experience, you know? I just want a great excuse to like eat chicken pot pie. <laughs> that too. And watch like terrible movies. Lifetime. Yeah, totally. I still feel the pressure with these sunny days here because I grew up north of Seattle. Right. I still feel the pressure of like, shit, I got to go do something, be active. I don't know. I know. You got to like go on a hike, <laughs> even if it's like 82, because technically that's cool now in LA. <laughs> I feel you. You know, and I'll go back up to Washington probably like in a few years. Washington's gorgeous. It's beautiful and it'll rain every day and I'll be like, fuck this noise. Right. By the way, probably if I move to the East Coast in like January through March where it's like the worst part of winter, not like the fun holidays part of winter, I'd be like, get me back to L.A. during the winter. So, Beth, I have some different life questions. Is that okay if I ask you a whole series of questions? Oh, yes. Okay, what was your living arrangement like when you first lived on your own? I shared a one-bedroom apartment with my best friend from college, and I was still sharing that one-bedroom apartment during season one of Two Broke Girls. You were? Yeah. It was, like, right by UCLA because that's where we graduated from, and I was always scared whenever she was, like, home with her family in a way, and so I would, like, do pots and pans by the door of my, like, our bedroom to, like, if someone ever broke in, that they would, like, hit the pots and pans because we, like, couldn't afford a ring or alarm anything, and, like— yeah, it was, you know, ramen, mac and cheese. And then I got two broke girls, but I still kept my nanny job because I was like, well, I don't know if the pilot's going to go. And we were still living in a one bedroom. And then season two, we upgraded to a two bedroom. Are you guys still really <laughs> close? She's still one of my best friends was in my wedding. And yeah, my college girlfriends from UCLA are still my best friends. And I'm so lucky because they're all still in LA, which is amazing. Beth, I think that's a really remarkable thing about you. When I first met you, I think it was like in the hallways probably (laughs) at Warner Brothers. And I constantly had this insecurity around women about like, I feel like I missed out on like an easy ability to connect. (laughs) You're nodding at me with like sympathy. No, but I feel like Hollywood does that. Oh, good. Okay. It's really hard. And I mean, I have incredible friends like you or Kat or people that I've met through Hollywood that have become really close friends. But I think that, yeah, there's not a lot of women. We were so lucky to have you guys as our neighbors and me and Kat with you because I felt like we were all super genuine and girls girls and wanted to hang out with each other and love each other and support each other, you know? It, oh, even <laughs> just seeing you guys in the hallways for the brief second while somebody's like hustling us off like to I know. whatever to do something. But I know it was such a relief how open and honest you guys were about the challenges and the joys, I think, of making a multi-cam. I had never done it before. 
I think you guys were like on season three, maybe season four on our season one or something. And you guys were just still like, yep, it's crazy. It's scary. Don't worry, but it's crazy and it's scary. And it still feels like this. And for some reason, I found that so reassuring. By the way, like there was never a time when they said action in the first scene in front of that live audience, the cat and I weren't terrified. <laughs> and Completely. I just think it was because like when it's all on your shoulders, it's a lot of work and you have like us and mom, you know, when you have a hit show, you have this like responsibility. And so I, it never got easier, but I feel like it was fun to be able to like tell you and Allison like about all the trials and tribulations and have each other to all be like, oh my God, I didn't get my period again. I'm so stressed out. (laughs) Well, and especially like, because I don't think that if we had had a different show that maybe had two male leads or something, Mm -hmm. I don't think they would have been that generous. You know, to be like, we're here, you know, anything you guys need. Come to our dressing room to cry anytime. Yeah. The guys would be like, Ashton Kutcher and John Carr would be like, no, we're good. We're, we're cool. Yeah. 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 I don't know if you did this, but if I messed up a line, I couldn't laugh it off. No, us either. You know how some people can just be like, whoa, oh my gosh, I messed up again. And the audience loves it. I would get into like a psychological spiral where it felt like the line was glue, like every part of my body would tense up and I could not think clearly at all. It was very anxiety making. On Two Broke Girls, I'll never forget the pilot episode, my first job in front of the live audience, the opening monologue that I'd done all week, they changed like 10 seconds before they hit action, (gasps) the whole monologue. (laughs) And, you know, on multigams, I don't know if people know, but your lines change a lot. So Kat and I, and I'm sure you and Allison would get like whole different scenes sometimes to do. And you're live and you've never said it, which I think for comedy is fun when you hit a new joke and you've never said it out loud and there's a live audience and it lands and it's great. But then there were also times like where you get a whole new monologue or a whole new scene. And I think for her and I, it was like we had each other. We could just look into each other's eyes. And when we messed up, we had each other's back. Right. Which was really helpful. But I am a perfectionist like you. I hate it messing up dialogue. I think the audience heightens the pressure too. I really do. Because like we're shooting now without a live audience on the neighborhood. And I'm like, yeah, what's that line? (laughs) Oh, cool. Booty, booty, booty. Like, we're just having so much fun because it just feels like there's so much less pressure. But I don't know. I felt the opposite, actually. I felt really. Yeah. I felt during our pre shoot days. Wow. The pressure felt on and they were far away. So you couldn't hear their laughter as well. Oh, yeah. So even the pacing is off. Uh huh. So the audience, it felt like at least forgave me. You know, they love it. They're there to watch you mess up. Yeah. That's so funny because I loved pre-shoot days. I was like, hallelujah. Like, okay, the pressure. That's so interesting. I wonder what Kat or Allison would say. I don't know either. Each day making that show presented its own very unique stress. Yes. (laughs) Table read. I knew that I was supposed to be stressed because everyone around me was frantic. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, it doesn't have to be like that. I'm on a show now where everybody is so chill. Oh, wow. I know, but I think it's just sort of the cosmic energy. Everybody's just grateful to be there and like believes in sort of the message of the show in a real way. And not that that wasn't on Two Broke Girls, but I think it's also when it's a two-hander like that. Like we have seven series regulars, you know, and like, I don't know. It's so interesting. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. But back a little bit, if you don't mind, mm -hmm. to the pandemic. I've been thinking about this and I haven't really asked anybody in my life about it. Aren't you confused about how nervous we should be? That's how I feel. I am terrified, but it seems like everybody in my life is scared to a very different degree. That's so true. I will say that I think what the underlying fear is, is a fear of the unknown because there's so much unknown and it's like a world unknown because scientists are still learning. What I've learned from all my years of self-help reading is that we have to become comfortable with not knowing and just stay in the present moment. And it's so hard during this pandemic. And that's why I think people's mental health is at like a heightened state because we're literally being forced to face what I think is the darkest humanity thing, which is we don't know what tomorrow brings. So whatever that is for you, I find it in nature horses that like sort of connects you to something bigger when everybody's freaking out or I start to freak out. And look, like I was scared those first few weeks on set. Like to be around a lot of people and, you know, it's very safe. Like CBS has made it super safe and we're only allowed to take the masks off when we say rolling. So all run throughs, everything is fully masked. We have face shields. But for me, it's like, okay, how can I come back to the present moment, be grateful for doing this beautiful show that I love with people I love and just know that I have no control, but that's freeing in a way. The unknown is freeing as opposed to like a prison. I'm renaming the podcast to Beth Helps Anna. <laughs> Beth decides to quit acting, become an equine therapist, and Anna Ferris is her first attempt at healing. <laughs> yes, that's like climbing K2 on your first attempt at mountain climbing. Oh, yeah. Beth. Oh, my God. I might be challenged. I actually don't think so. You have the purest, sweetest heart. I think you'd be easy peasy. Thanks, Beth. <laughs> okay, will you tell us how you met your husband and the love story there? Yeah, so... It's a good story. I met him three years before we started dating. It was my last year, I think, at UCLA. I had a friend from UCLA who was a costume PA on the first season of Mad Men. And I went to a Mad Men party. They hadn't aired yet. So, like, John Hamm was like, hi, I'm John Hamm. And, like, Elizabeth Moss was like, hi. Like, it was like I was meeting all these people that then ended up, you know, phenomenon. And I met him at this party and didn't really think anything of it. Actually connected with his sister really deeply. His sister happened to be in town and her and I like hit it off. And she actually officiated our wedding, which was like perfect. But then he would like go to the costume department of Mad Men for like three years and say to my friend, her name was Tiger, real name. And she's awesome. He would say to Tiger, like, how's that friend of yours, Beth? Like, how's that girl, Beth? And it was like kind of a joke, but he was kind of like had a crush. And then three years after that party, when I was in like my early 20s, we all, the same Mad Men group, I had become friends with sort of some of the PAs and people in Mad Men. And he was at this hangout one night and we connected over music, our love of like old country music. And I went over to his house thinking we were starting a band. He was like, come over and like jam and let's like sing through some stuff. And I was like, cool. And then when I left, we ended up kissing. And I was like, that was weird. And he, of course, was like, uh, I didn't think we were starting a band. I wanted you to come over so we could hook up. 
<laughs> I was a nanny at the time living in that one bedroom. So he could never sleep over with me. I always had to go to his house and then cut to it's been 10 and a half years and we've been married since 2018. So we waited a long time. <laughs> That's amazing though. I'm very lucky. He's the greatest ever. The best. And how yeah. was your wedding? The best. It was beautiful. I like still think about the day. It was just like full of horses in Wyoming. Well, it was in Idaho technically, but right outside of Jackson Hole, which is sort of our special place. There was like a herd of buffalo that crossed in the park in the morning on the wedding day. And like, it was amazing and beautiful and I think about it all the time. It's one of those things where you're like, I was never a girl who cared about weddings. We both were like, we're going to be like Goldie Hawn and Kurt Russell. Like, we're never going to get married. And then all my friends started getting married. I think you and I talked about this too. Like, I wasn't engaged yet, but I remember having some sort of conversation with you about it. Where I was like, I don't know if we're going to get married. And now it's the greatest thing ever. I'm glad I got married. I am so with you. I mean, I've done it now twice. Yeah, girl. <laughs> and now... <laughs> I'm going to do it again. Yes, you are. I mean, they say third time's charm. I like to think of it less as like reflections on personal failure and more as a reflection on degree of optimism. Yes, everything's a gift. Each relationship got you to this one. That's so true. So there you have it. And your baby, he's not a baby anymore, but your son, you wouldn't have him without it. And truthfully, there were some fucking awesome times all along the way. Exactly. Always. Yes. Yes. Okay, what is your favorite curse word, Beth? Balls. Balls. All right, I like yeah. it. I, is that a curse word? I mean, balls. I say it a lot. Yeah. Okay, do you remember your first love? My husband was my first love. That's amazing. Do you remember your first crush? Was there a little boy in third grade that you loved? No, it was Jonathan Taylor Thomas. <laughs> <laughs> I loved him so much growing up and he was on home improvement and he was my for sure crush. I met him years later, like at a bar in LA and I was still like, it's Jonathan Taylor Thomas. I had that with Leonardo DiCaprio on Growing Pains. Oh, yes. And then Titanic. I mean, that was my sixth grade birthday party was Titanic and that it was all about Leo from that point. I know. That was when I realized that he was unobtainable. My mom was very dismissive of any fandom. Ooh, I like that. Yeah, so I was never overt. I never had any posters on my wall. I didn't like it at the time because she didn't let me, like, read women's magazines. Oh, okay, got it. Oh, wow. Like, Grease and Pretty Woman are her two, like, least favorite movies. I understand the Pretty Woman one. I'm going to have to go back and watch Grease. She hated it that Sandy changed. For the man. Yeah. Wow. Your mom was badass. <laughs> I actually love that one. <laughs> I do too now. Now, yeah, of course. At the time, it felt like my mom is dooming me to be forever unpopular. Yeah. You know, like, anyway. Um. Oh, I mean, I could see how that would be. Yeah, like, I can't do the cool thing. I mean, my mom was pretty strict. They did let me watch Grease 2 before Grease 1, which I remember thinking now is like a travesty. Like, why would you let me watch Grease 2, the sequel, before Grease 1? But, I mean, we forgive them. Maybe there's more of a feminist message in Grease 2. I think there might there be. There is. And also, Michelle Pfeiffer is a beast in that movie. And I still love Grease 2. Like, I love them both. But, like, now that you're saying that about Sandy changing for a man, I even played Sandy in high school. And... Yeah, ew. Okay, what's your favorite musical? I don't know if I knew this about you until recently, that you are professionally trained. How come we didn't hear you singing more in the halls? 
Oh, because I got two broncos and I didn't have time to sing anymore. <laughs> yeah, I grew up wanting to be a Broadway. Julie Andrews was my hero. The Sound of Music is my favorite movie and musical. And I studied like operatic soprano. And originally I went to UCLA for music theater. So I was studying voice. And then I got the comedy bug and wanted to do film and TV because of that. But I still love it. I don't sing as much in like my soprano. I had a big, I was up for my Fair Lady on Broadway a few years ago and I studied for like four months getting my voice there and I was really close and it was an amazing experience to get that far and whatever. But I'm also kind of like relieved now that I didn't get it because singing, first of all, I think it's one of the most vulnerable art forms. Why? Well, and we talk about this in harmonics with musicians. I love singers. I love like Brandy Carlisle. And I think what I've learned is that I think the voice and music is like a direct channel to like something bigger than ourselves. Spiritual. I don't know what you want to call it, like whatever you believe. And so I think singing for me feels like that and always has since I was a little girl. But in that way, then it's sacred and I don't want it to be tainted by professional pressure. That's a beautiful sentiment, Beth. Oh, good. I like. I think laughter is really important too. So I think what we do also in its own way is sort of this like healing channel. But there's something about music universally, which we talk a lot about, like it crosses cultural barriers. And I've been learning and deep diving a lot about the power of music. And I do think that there's something from the time, like, you know, ancient tribal rhythms and we're somehow in our bodies differently with music than we are in any other way. What's your least favorite song in The Sound of Music, Beth? You are 16 going on 17, because now it seems a little rapey. I don't know. <laughs> did you see the SNL parody? They did like an SNL parody of it. It was just so funny with an older guy, and it was really like creepy. And I was like, oh, I don't know if I like it as much. And he's a Nazi. Sorry, that's the real reason <laughs> that song's very creepy. I'm with you, too. That one's a little boring, even though I do like in the movie, she's flying around the gazebo with her floaty dress. Oh, my God. It's my favorite than the movie <laughs> where the rain comes and she's dancing. I mean, look, as a kid, yes, I still love the movie. But if we could just, like, X out the Nazi, that would be great. <laughs> Beth, what was your first boss like? Wow. Well, the first job I had was at a college my dad worked at. So I was sort of like working in the office. But I'm trying to think boss-wise. Was your dad a professor, Beth? He was a president of a college. He was vice president when I was in college. And then he was a president in Indiana. He is in like higher education, like high up administration, basically. And my mom's a teacher. So <laughs> I was very academic. Did they ever have to pressure you to do well? They never had to pressure me. It was part of my makeup. But I really didn't want to go to college. I really wanted to go to Broadway. Like I really wanted to move to New York and sing or go to LA. And um, they made me go to college and it was the best decision. I'm still so grateful. And they never discouraged me from acting. They just always thought it was really important that I have the academic education. And now obviously it paid off. But no, I, I've always sort of put that pressure on myself, but I'm trying to do that less. I think that's the perfectionism thing during Two Broke Girls really was what added all the pressure too you know, like trying to be perfect, not mess up a line. It's like, we're human. We're not robots. Yeah, completely. I'm so with you on that. And my parents were the same way. They never discouraged acting. They really encouraged it at times when I didn't even want to pursue it, but they did insist that I go to college. And I was kind of miserable in college. I went to University of Washington. I went there for a guy, uh, my high school boyfriend, who broke up with me two weeks into. Oh, my God. <laughs> I know. Screw that guy. I know. That's 
sucks. But hey, a gift. I'm sure he gave you something. (laughs) Hopefully not chlamydia. (laughs) But I went to a school that I think was a little too large. And I was not a great student until later. I had to kind of learn how to. Interesting. I had to learn how to be proactive in a class. And then it made it much more interesting for me. Yes. That's interesting. That was like a skill that I just had to figure out. And I am really glad I went. Although when I first moved to L.A., I thought it would be more relevant in a naive way. Yeah, I get it. I thought the same thing. And honestly, I went to UCLA and the only C I ever got my entire life, including my academic classes at UCLA, was in acting. My acting teacher gave me a C. It's the only thing on my report card that in my entire life that wasn't an A. He did not like that I wanted to be funny. <laughs> but I do think that education in general, I think to be a good actor, you need to sort of be educated in all sorts of different walks of life and comedy too. So I feel like it's good. If it feels right, great. And if it doesn't, you know, everybody's different. Beth, on what occasion do you lie? I'm a terrible liar. You can see it all over my face. But if I see a movie or a play that a friend is in, (laughs) but I don't love, Michael and I have a saying where we go, well, now I'm going to ruin it. But you go, now that's a movie. (laughs) Like that was a play. Wow. That was a play. Congratulations. Because he said his grandma, whenever he used to see like ugly babies would be like, Now that's a baby. (laughs) And so like him and I, if we see something we don't like, but I mean, I just lie and be like, you are wonderful. Uh, Even if I didn't love it. Because you got to be supportive. Lying when it's not going to hurt someone else's feelings, I think is okay. I think it's an impossibility to not. To not. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Beth, do you have a favorite book or author? I always like to make it specific in terms of like something that was formative in your teens. (sighs) I read every Sweet Valley High book. Nice. I guess it was like middle school into the beginning of high school because there was like Sweet Valley Senior Year, which came out, but I had all the Sweet Valley Highs. And the Babysitter's Club, the Saddle Club, like growing up, those were my jams. My mom hated it that I read them, but what I think she didn't realize was that you're craving just some kind of education about what, like, older girls, are there clues? Especially, <laughs> like, when you read them when you're not in high school yet, you just assume that's high school. Mm-hmm. Like, I would watch, like, reruns of 90210 and be like, oh, my God, high school. Totally. Like, you know, and then you get to high school and you're like, oh, my God, all I do is study. And that's what my high school <laughs> felt like. Yeah. Do you remember when Jessica's boyfriend, I can't remember his name, took off her top in the swimming pool? Oh, yeah. I mean, that's where I feel like I learned everything about love. It's from Sweet Valley High, which is, I mean, I'm lucky I'm still married. But <laughs> that was my first taste of erotic literature. My God, Sweet Valley High was erotic literature. I'm just realizing. Yeah, like, what's her name? I can't remember. Fran- Francine something. She wrote about, like, the pool water, like, swirling around. I do remember that. Jessica's breasts and how embarrassed <laughs> she was. And I was like, what? <laughs> I do remember that. Oh my God. I just loved those books. <laughs> this is like PG Fifty Shades of Grey. <laughs> I like erotic literature more than porn. I'm not a porn watcher really at all. Oh God, no, me either. I definitely would prefer literature to porn. It's better in your imagination. Yeah. It's better for our acting. We can, you know, develop our imaginations deeper. And I love playing characters too. Me too. Really? Come on, Beth. Give us a character. Come on. 
I can't do it without being serious. Michael says I'm never really sexy. I'm never able to be sexy because I'm just like, all of a sudden I end up doing a physical comedy bit, even if I'm trying to be like sexy schoolgirl. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'll then be like, and then he said, with like a weird voice. And he's like, I can't take you seriously. Like, please stop. <laughs> I feel like you'd be like me. You're like, I just got to make this joke just real quick. So what are your days like? What are you liking and not liking? I just like to stay at home. Quarantine's my dream. Me too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I wish, I love not having dinner plans. It's great. I know. I just, I like come home from work. I like maybe do an exercise something and then I cook like a real wife from the 1950s. No, I just love being a homebody. I do too, Beth. I'm so with you on that. I know. But Beth, what do you like to cook? I've kind of really switched to plant-based in the past like four months. So I've been experimenting with a lot of like vegan cooking. So I just made an incredible like vegan chia seed, butternut squash, sweet potato chili. I'm usually not a good cook at all. I'm not a chef. Michael's amazing. But because I've sort of switched my diet to be more animal, environmentally friendly and all that. And I also hear that diet and anxiety, like gut health and anxiety are really related. Really? Truly. Like, I've noticed a really big difference in my anxiety from, like, eating better. Yeah. And I'm not one to restrict. I think everything in moderation. So, like, I would never be like, you have to be plant-based, whatever. I'm not going to be ever that kind of person because I think everybody is different. But I will say, like, it's been really fun to, like, eat whole foods from the earth that make me feel good. I don't have that afternoon slump at work. Like, yeah. Like where you need coffee on like a shoot day, like when everybody orders coffee around three or four before we go into like the evening part, you know, I've been great. So I've been cooking that. I've been making a lot of jams, fruit jams. I'm basically like really into like homesteading stuff. We got to get you this upstate (laughs) place in New York. Thank you. Right. Can you help me? I know it's just now everybody's moving out of New York City. So the real estate prices are out of my budget up there at the moment. But someday I think they'll come back down when everybody goes back. Let's do a crowd fundraising campaign, (laughs) don't you think? (laughs) Maybe we could just start a commune of people who want to live off the earth up there. It doesn't even need to be crowdfunding. I'll buy the property someday. And then anybody who wants to just like rescue animals and grow their own food and like dance, doing yoga and all that and be hippy dippy can come along. Amazing. Beth, is there a talent or ability that you would most like to have that you don't? I'd really like to play the banjo well. I'm learning, but it's so hard. I don't understand your patience level. Like, how far along are you in your tutelage? So during the quarantine, up until the move, I was really good about lessons once a week. But I have to say, since being back at work, doing like the move and the podcast and work and stuff, honestly, my poor banjo has sat. So I would love to just blink and be Steve Martin and be able to just like play really quickly and easily. But it's hard. But it's really good for you to learn an instrument. It's really good for your brain. I highly recommend it for people that are dealing with mental health because it's good to take you out of your head and into focusing on something in your body. I could use that too, Beth. What would you play? I bought a cello (gasps) a while back. Wow, I love the cello. That's cool, Anna. I mean, it's in my powder room right now, but... (laughs) Your powder room is just sitting where you get ready in the morning. Yeah, (laughs) totally. No, but I've been fascinated by learning an instrument, but I have a... I don't know if it's a chaos in life. And it's also, I picked a really fucking hard one. Yeah. 
They're all hard, but like guitar, cello and banjo, those are pretty intricate, intense instruments to learn. Like start with the piano or the guitar is the most, I think, basic, very universal. You can find very inexpensive teachers or YouTube videos, but I love the cello. I love the idea of just having like a dinner party and then taking the cello out (laughs) and then having like Michael interrupt me right as I'm about to start playing every time. Hilarious. So... Like, there'd be this mystery. Like, wait, she can't play. And playing the cello naked could be hot, too, because you're covering everything. Well, it's a pretty sexy instrument. It kind of looks like a feminine form. Yeah. If you get, like, a nice wood. You kind of have to, like, grind into it. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Imagine if, like, Anna Ferris becomes the most incredible cello player and you're like going on Jimmy Fallon to promote something and they're like, we hear you have this new talent and everybody thinks you're going to be terrible and goofy and funny. And then you're like this genius cello player. Beth, I love that idea, but I feel like it requires hundreds of hours of work. (laughs) It's so true. Imagining somebody's like, huh, reaction. You're a full-time <laughs> actor, mother, podcaster. Yeah, you don't have time for the cello now, but maybe when you're retired someday. Okay, for what historical figure would you start a fan club? Oh, God, Mary Oliver, the poet. I don't know if I know. I love her. She died recently, but she's just a beautiful, like, nature poet, and it's really accessible poetry. Everybody can feel something from it and understand it. She's incredible. I love her book. There's a collection of her book called Devotions that's like my favorite of all her poems that I'll read like anytime I'm having a bad day. But there's like a pretty big Mary Oliver following. So I think the fan club would do really well. I like that. That's savvy. (laughs) Okay. What lesson at an early age has stuck with you? God, there's a lot. Be kind. Nothing is more important than kindness. And you can't sleep your way to the middle. Joan Rivers told me that. (laughs) (laughs) okay what's your favorite rainy day movie Beth? oh i'm just gonna say practical magic because i want to watch it so bad but you know sandra bullock nicole kidman play witches you haven't seen practical magic no i haven't i was just trying to remember beth i think that it was either filmed or it's set on an island i think it's up in the san juan islands really isn't it san juan islands i think in washington state i don't know where they filmed that but it's the most beautiful place i've ever seen Okay, what skill are you still trying to master? Besides banjo, I haven't been able to bake anything. I really want to bake. And it seems so hard. It's so technical. And like even just the thought of using a food processor to make the beginnings of dough really terrifies me. If it's not a Vitamix thing, I can't do it. I can do anything with a Vitamix, but put any other technical equipment kitchen-wise in there, I can't do it. I made a loaf of bread a month ago. Wow. Oh, no. It could have been used as a weapon. (laughs) It's so hard. Oh, my God. Michael can do it, no problem. He's been making homemade bread the whole pandemic. But I can't. I can't do it. Oh, Beth, I want to ask you about singing and your love of country music. And you have a podcast. Yeah. Tell me all about it. It's basically what I said, that this pandemic sort of just made me realize my deep love and connection to music in a more healing way. And so then I really wanted to explore like the intersection between music, creativity, spirituality, and wellness. And I'm a nerdily big fangirl of all music, but particularly like roots, Americana, country are my favorite kinds of music. So this first season 
you know, we've had people like Brandi Carlisle and Mickey Guyton, but I've also had like my co-star Tashina Arnold on and Glennon Doyle, who's my hero who wrote Untamed. If you haven't read that, speaking of books, that book changed my life and she's our first episode. So the beginnings were about music, but now it's sort of just turned into talks with these beautiful creatives about what they believe and how creativity affects their sort of day-to-day and mental health, wellness, and all that. And I've learned some really cool things from it. Like I nerdily ask them all the questions that I want to know about like the meaning of life. And then they all give me answers that I've applied to my own life to make it better. So it's a very selfish endeavor. But it's really intimate. You must be enjoying it. I really enjoy it. I mean, I know, you know, there was something during the quarantine and I'm sure you've experienced this with your podcast, but like, I feel like I've been more vulnerable on harmonics, my podcast about my personal life than I ever have before, which terrified me to put out into the world. But I will say that by me sort of being open and vulnerable and holding that space for like guests, I think it's allowed them to be more open and honest and vulnerable. And so we're really able to connect. And it's all women this first season. It's a time for like women to sort of come together and talk about being a woman during 2020. And we talk a lot about the pandemic and how we can better our mental health (laughs) during this time and use the power of creativity to heal the world. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Beth, can you give our listeners and myself some practical advice? Maybe it's simple things like just breathing. Maybe it's small dietary change. What do you think? Like, what are some nice practical, like things that you do that are important to you that keep you present? Well, I think the most important thing about this is to know that everybody is different. So like something that might work for me or for you or someone else might not be right for that person. But I think ultimately it all comes down to self-love. So the more that you can find ways to learn to love yourself, which is, I think, the most difficult relationship in our life. I think it's really hard to cultivate self-love. So for me, you know, with the anxiety and perfectionism and all that, I was prioritizing work, 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 work. And my self-care was the lowest on the totem pole. And then when my body started to break down and I had panic attacks, I had to remedy that. So for me, it started with horses and nature and meditation. Those were sort of the three things. So getting outside, I would say, is something really easy everybody can do. Even if you're not quote unquote outdoorsy, everybody can kind of go listen to a podcast in a park or go for a walk. 
I think breathing and saying things like that, you know, you hear a lot of self-help books and people telling you to do this diet or this breath or this whatever. And like diets really helped me, but it was also freaking hard to change my diet. And I wasn't ready to do it until this year, obviously, because I'd never done it before. And yes, I'm noticing all the benefits now, but the first three months of changing it were terribly difficult. And I don't know what gave me the willpower. I think my love of animals and of wanting to help for climate change finally overpowered my desire for like pizza all the time, which like I still love pizza. You can have it occasionally, but like I just don't have it all the time. So I think finding for you something you believe in that gives back is really powerful, whether that's volunteering or trying to do something because it's for the good of the planet or whatever. And then honestly, like connection, like girlfriends, friends good relationships in your life, cultivating the good ones and getting out the bad ones. See, I'm learning so much. That's like my podcast. I just (laughs) learn everything I want to know from like Glennon Doyle about how to be a better person and woman. And yeah. Okay, Beth, who would you like to apologize to and why? Oh my goodness. Myself for not taking care of her for a long time and not putting her first because I was too afraid of what other people think or of ambition or overworking and wanting to be perfect. Yeah. We got to give ourselves a break, y'all. Yeah. Okay. What or who has influenced your career the most? Carol Burnett and Julie Andrews were probably my favorites growing up. I really love Amy Poehler. I feel like She also just seems like a genuinely good human like you. And there's just people I've met that are like so talented, but they're also just like really good humans. So thinking back to your Broadway experience, I mean, I'm hesitant to ask you because it's a vulnerable question, I guess, but how crushing was that? Yeah. The My Fair Lady audition was crushing because I got so close. Yeah. But Bart Scher, the director, and Lauren Ambrose was amazing and it was beautiful, but he did a really good job addressing that, I think, in the production. But uh, I was on the floor crying, like, if I'm being honest. It was really hard because it took a lot of work to get my voice back up to that operatic soprano. I mean, that shit's hard. (laughs) But it was literally right after Two Broke Girls got canceled. And I think it was a gift because I don't know if I could have gone from six years into eight times a week singing that way and emotionally and physically doing eight shows a week. Because I've done theater before eight times a week. And I mean, People are like, oh, you only work at night. No, no, no. You're thinking about the show all day. You're prepping for the show all day. You're getting your body warmed up. I mean, it's a whole thing. So I think in some ways it was the universe looking out for me being like, hey, girl, how about you just rest and get married? (laughs) So, you know, but someday I do hope to do Broadway eventually because it's definitely bucket list. But I want it to be the right thing. I feel like I've suppressed my most crushing (laughs) audition uh, didn't get story. Yeah. Yeah. What is it for you? Oh, God. I'm sure there's so many. You know, there was a show that I really wanted on HBO. It was called Carnival. Oh, yeah. I think I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. And Cleo Duvall ended up getting the role that I wanted. Okay. But it was one of those intense, intimate audition processes, you know, that like last for For a long time. (laughs) Yeah. And you keep getting called back in and it's like. Oh, uh uh-huh. And I remember the brilliant director, what's his name? Anyway, he kept telling me to give a smaller performance. And I'm laughing because I call myself Jim Carrey always. I'm like, oh, do you want that bigger? Yeah. Do you want that bigger on the show? No, Beth, bring it down. (laughs) (laughs) 
Like, should I go with my mouth fully open and eyes? And I remember thinking, I feel like this is the smallest I can possibly get. (laughs) You're like, I'm not doing anything. And they're like, that's exactly right. (laughs) Do you find, and all the dramatic actresses out there can hate me, but do you find that it's a little bit easier than comedy? Oh, yes. Okay, good. Me too. Because I was like, when I have a drama audition, I'm like, oh, hallelujah. Oh, I can be so intimate and small. Like the way you're saying, like, I don't think people realize the sort of physical energy of comedy. I'm sure if we were doing Handmaid's Tale, like that would be exhausting. The amount of like stress and crying and not just that, but like courage because you have to be brave. Yep. And inventiveness. Yes. Yes. Attempting to create something new in a moment. Over and over. Yeah. Because comedy, you kind of have to jump off the cliff each take or it won't land. It's music, right? I Mm -hmm. think the intersection between comedy and music is actually really interesting, especially with multicam. Do you feel like there's a musicality to that? Oh, yes, completely. And I think that it feels kind of like playing tennis. Yes. If I knew how to play tennis. (laughs) But also, though, in terms of musicality, frequently I would have the experience of your brain hears it the way you want it. And your vocal cords aren't quite... Well, and I think that the intersection between music and comedy, there's like a tension and a release to comedy and to rhythm and music. And so what you're thinking is your brain can almost feel the tension and release, but then to execute it is where I think the craft comes in and the like work ethic, right? I mean, that's where it's like, yeah. I woke up two days ago thinking about John Denver. Oh, my grandma just passed away and she loved John Denver and my husband sang her uh, Country Road like as she was dying. It was so amazing. I love John Denver. So I was playing it while I was making breakfast and he lets his voice waver at one point. He gets to a higher note. He sounds a slightly more fragile and then he kind of releases you. And it's beautiful with the lyrics, Rocky Mountain High. And you're right that there is that tension and release. Yeah, like there's like a tension and release that like music does it all the time. And I think comedy particularly does it all the time as well. And the sort of longer and smarter you can craft the tension, the bigger the laugh release is going to be for the audience. And especially in multicam, like for almost 10 years doing multicam, now I can read a script and it's like you say, my brain can just sort of hear the music. And you know, like when you're off the pace, just like you'd know if you were off the beat, like if you were off of the guitar line, if you were singing. And you're right. Sometimes you can't control it. You're just like, ah, I know what (laughs) the music is, but I'm just off today. And I think in comedy and in music, like it can just happen. That's why it's vulnerable. Like you can come off the rhythm, but then you just come back to the present moment and try (laughs) your best. It's an interesting comparison, though. I had always heard like Chuck Lorre talk about music and I understood it, like the musicality of multicam. And I understood it in terms of, I'll say a line, Allison says a line, but the structure of the actual lines has a musicality to it, which is why I guess precision is so important, which took me a long time to understand. Yeah, that's something different than single camera because there's a lot of freedom to improv because there's an editor who's helping with the rhythms, right? I mean, we have an editor multicam too, but there's a different music to it. There just is because of what you just said. It is as precise in other ways, I think, as music. Yes. Like, you can't sing the wrong note if the guitar player is playing a C. Right. You have to be either, you know, a third above or whatever you're doing has to be in tune. And that's the same thing. You can't... I tried to improv. I got basically shut down. I remember season one, episode 
like three of Two Broke Girls because I had come from like a little bit of improv world in college and the audience was going. It was a moment where I did some physical comedy bit and I kept going and I said something and like Michael Patrick King was so right. He was like, never do that again. You can never improv on multicam because it ruins the whole room. And it was like, I never did it again because I understood what he meant, that there's like a music that I cannot break. No matter how much I wanted that in the moment laugh from the live audience that I came up with this thing in the moment, it did not work with the music of the scene. And so you can't fuck with that. (laughs) As you provide this anecdote, I would argue that there isn't anyone in the world that could relate to you more. (laughs) 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 Both Beth and I... Our egos have been bruised in terms of improv on multicam. <laughs> <laughs> I will say, though, as an audience member, we want to like bring it full circle to understand the power of laughter in mental health and healing. It would help people who are listening to understand why something makes them laugh and why laughter can be so different for each person. I like a lot of different kinds of music, but I don't love like classical as much as country. You know, some people might like a different kind of comedy because it's their music that makes them laugh. So people listening, like maybe you can take away something about the healing power of laughter for your mental health and finding your music. (laughs) Everyone's going to be like, why'd you have her on? Just edit her out. Listen to harmonics if you want to hear stuff like this, because this is basically, we go deep into like mental health, music, wellness, like how creativity like really affects our mental state. I want to. (laughs) Okay, wait, is there a moment in your career or personal life that you're most proud of? Oh, I mean, just that what you said about like having the same friends, like I'm really not proud, but also just grateful that like I have women in my life who are like lifers. They're like sisters at this point and my relationship that like my husband's been with me through when I was a nanny and through two broke girls and now the neighborhood and stuff. So yeah, I'm just grateful for my relationships. I love that. In one word, how would you like to be remembered? (laughs) I was just about to make a balls joke, but I love it. <laughs> I would like to be remembered as someone who was kind and who gave back in some way and contributed to helping better people's lives. I think you've already accomplished that. So. Well, I think you've been doing the same thing. Thank you. Beth, I can't thank you enough. I would love to have more of you in my life. I agree. I would love to have more of you in my life. You're wonderful. Thank you for having me on. Beth, please be in touch. Yay, Anna, I miss you. And thank you. You too. I miss you too. Bye, guys. Bye. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, 
Hey, dear listeners, Professor Eli Finkel is back to help all of us. Eli teaches at Northwestern University and is the author of The All or Nothing Marriage, How the Best Marriages Work. He is also the director of Northwestern's Relationships and Motivation Lab, a contributor to the New York Times and The Economist, and has published over 150 scientific papers. I didn't ask, but I imagine he's a big fan of the first four scary movies. Hi, Eli. Welcome back. Thank you so much for doing this. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Um, All right. So we're going to call Emily. Hello. Hi, Emily. Hi. Hi. You are here with myself, Anna. Also, Eli Finkel, who is the author of The All or Nothing Marriage. Emily, will you tell us what's going on? I guess kind of it's the old, you know, you hear people say like, oh, the mother-in-law, like causing problems, causing a rift. And that's pretty much where I'm at and what's going on. And it's been more of an issue probably in the past year. And I'm almost to the point where I want to be done. And also there's, you know, I'm torn. There's another part of me that's like, I want to break up with his mom, not him. (laughs) Wait, Emily, do you mind if I read the first few sentences of your email? Yeah, yeah. You write, my husband and I have been together for over nine years. We've only lived together for three of those years. When I moved into his house, he told me his parents were moving back to their home in another country. Do you mind my asking, what is the distance there? Why is there six years? So we did not live together because his parents were living with him. And we only lived like two miles away from each other. So, I mean, it wasn't like we were in different cities or jobs or anything like that. It just worked for us at that time. So for six years, I lived by myself with my dog and it was great. Like we got along really well. We never fought. He came over every day. I would go to his house, you know, the back and forth. Then it's actually almost three years to the date. We decided that it was time. Like we needed to live together. And so one of the agreements was that he was like, oh, they're going back to Mexico. They're going back to their house. This will be our house. And so I was like, hell yeah. So (laughs) I moved in. And then shortly after, they are quite a bit older. And so their health started to decline slightly. And so there were reasons for them to stay a little bit longer. And I completely understood. I'm not a jerk. (laughs) And then the conversation never came up again about them leaving and they would go to Mexico for, you know, a few months at a time. And every time I was under the impression that they were leaving for good. And so when they would come back, I was very surprised. So it was a lot of miscommunication and just not really understanding what was going on. What, you know, and I'm sure I'm partly to blame for that because I didn't really ask questions. I was just like, Oh, they're out of here. Bye. But now in the past year, it's been made very clear that there's no intention of them leaving and that they're here to stay. And it would be okay with me if his mom wasn't so awful. His dad is fantastic. I don't mind his dad. His dad's wonderful. But it's just, you know, you have two women living under one roof and one who doesn't expect you and doesn't want you there like me. I don't want her there we're constantly butting heads. The main issue is that he doesn't have my back in these situations. And in my eyes, I think you should have your partner's back. Whatever's going on, you're number one in that situation. And I never, he never has my back. And it's getting to the point, like 
simple things, little things going on in the house where I rearranged furniture because I needed to make more room in this one area. And then while I'm at work, she goes through and changes everything back to the way it was. When I'm like, hey, I did this for a reason. Let's go and move that furniture back to how it was. I'm the one who needs to be, needs to conform and just suck it up. You know what I mean? I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah. No, because there's like a bunch of people fighting for control. And there are situations where she is manipulative with him and does things that I don't like. You know, he's got a lot of siblings. I mean, there's so many and they're spread out all over the world. And you're you're wondering why she didn't choose one of them. Well, there have been multiple other children who live in the same area that their house is in Mexico who have said, why don't you live here full time? We can take care of you. Oh, no, he needs us. He needs us. We don't need you. <laughs> You, we don't. Do his brothers and sisters feel jealous towards your husband if he's potentially like a little bit of the family favorite? Yeah, there's jealousy there and they don't bring it up to their mom and they don't bring it up to him. They bring it up to me and he's the baby of the family. Let's add that into she's enamored with him. And I understand I'm not completely and utterly heartless. I understand it is your mother. I have a mother and she's fantastic and wonderful, but there's a point where you need to also call your mom out when she's out of line in certain situations and back up your partner. And I'm just to the point where I'm like, I don't even know. I'm like, do I even want to be here? Do I want to go? Like, I don't know how to fix it. And I'm also torn. Should I stay and fix it? Or do I need to just bounce? Emily, sounds like you want to be with your husband. And if his parents were eliminated, then maybe things would be pretty great between you guys. Is that a that's an easy summation, right? Yes. When we have alone time together, it's fantastic. We have wonderful chemistry. We talk to each other. We agree on a lot of the same things. And so it's very easy to be with him and easy to talk with him. But as soon as I walk in the door at that house, I'm just immediately, I'm pissed. Like I'm just, I'm irritated. And it's like, I don't want to walk into the house and be mad all the time. Like oh, it's just oh really God. I know. It's getting to me. Emily, here's what I would suggest, and it's going to just be a chore, but you may get reward out of the investment. I would first say to your husband, I want to be closer to your parents. Your mom and I have these issues. You've known that. I don't know how to get past this because it makes me feel small. It makes me feel like I don't have my own space. It makes me feel like I don't want to come home because it's not my home. You don't have to put my <laughs> vehemence into it. <laughs> That's how I feel, but yeah. Right, right. (laughs) But maybe, you know, a very gentle version of that. Say something like, I want us to, I don't know, get freaky every night and have an amazing life together. And I can't, I don't think I've ever said get freaky in my life. I was going to say. (laughs) You saved it for the right moment. Uh, Yes. Help me understand your mom and be forgiving when I need to vent because that will happen. Yeah. I have a question for you, Emily. Um, Something that I I didn't understand that you said earlier that I think could be important here. You, You said that eventually you realized you had to move in together. Why is that? Like what made you decide this absolutely has to be a co residential relationship, even though we've been so happy separated? To be totally honest with you, I think it was pressure from friends and family, because they could not fathom that we were living separately for so long. Mm -hmm. And then I'm normally not someone who's easily swayed or pressured into doing Mm -hmm. things, Mm -hmm. but 
over time you have people who are just like, it's so weird. You live apart. It's so weird. It's so weird. And it's like, well, I guess it is weird. I guess we just got to do this. That's where that came from. And I mean, if I could go back to that little $400 a month duplex, my (laughs) God, I would. I mean, this is a little bit of what I'm asking about is, you know, what you put in the email is that the, the situation since you moved in has been really bad. You asked him, you were pretty forceful at least once to say this really is important to me and may well be the difference between whether we can stay together or not. He chose his mom and you used the phrase, I'm devastated. Is there a solution at this point? Again, it's in danger of walloping us over the head of why don't you go back to that arrangement that made everybody so happy? Or are you now at a point where simply going back to where it was doesn't fully work because he revealed something about what his priorities are when, I mean, you didn't give him an ultimatum, but it was in that ballpark. And he said, tough luck, babe. Is it like you could go back to where you were and you'd be happy in your little $400 a month duplex? Or has that ship sailed? I think it has sailed in the sense because we have had a discussion where I, I made the, you know, a little comment and I was like, man, I missed that little place. <laughs> and he said, well, if you wanted to go back, he's like, just go back, like go do it. And I said, would you still be with me if I moved out? And he's like, I don't know. And so I think, hmm. I, I don't know if we could. I have a slightly different read of the situation now. I'm going to give you my impression, and you have to correct me if I if I have any of this wrong. So, so you know, circumstances led you to make the change, to move in together, even though you were actually pretty happy. And look, I think it's reasonable to be like, I guess it is time. Let's try it. I, I don't think that was a mistake or anything, but but it clearly has resulted in less happiness, at least for you. And then you made an effort to say, look, I really need them gone. We need our our marriage house to be our marriage house. And even though, again, it's not unreasonable to have parents living in, but it's not what you prefer. It's not going well. And you're struggling to be happy. And you voiced it to him. And he said, sorry, there's nothing I can do to, to make you happier on this one. And then when you've said, okay, well, here's this other solution that would work for me, he said, I'm not sure I'm feeling that either. Is that a fair summary or have I been unfair to him? That is a fair summary. Yeah. Um, I don't love it. Again, I mean, the relationships are complicated. I'm not judging him. Anna, get in here. <laughs> but, well, because I know that we have these conversations at, like, the worst of times, you right. know? We can be flipping about ultimatums sometimes, right. you know? To me, Emily, it sounds like you guys still really like each other, right? I mean, you guys are really still into each other. They're still... Yeah. I mean, he's a very caring person. And I will agree that those, some of those conversations and things that have come up have come up when we are not in the best mood, but we definitely love each other. And you know, even this morning, we're still like, I'm the type of person, my fighting style is I want to get it out, get it over with and move on. And he's the type he dwells on it for, I like to say three to five business days. (laughs) And so he's still dwelling on the conversation that we recently had. But even with his anger, like I had run into a, a sticky situation with my finances and, you know, he's immediately there to help me and to immediately be like, hey, what do I need to do to get you, you know, to help you out in this little pickle you're in? And so there's a lot of love there. It's just this one topic. I'm telling you, it's going to require so much of your patience, but it will pay off if you love your husband and you want to work this out and you want to have great fucking sex. 
here's what you need to do, Emily, but it's going to require like a big sucking up of pride. Yeah. All right. So you have to start to notice two things that your mother-in-law is passionate about and two things that she's not passionate about. Like if there's like something that she rants about, like a dishwasher not getting things clean or just start to clock a little bit of those things and then side with her on them with both items. There's nothing like an older person loving somebody for hating the same thing they do. (laughs) (laughs) You will feel better even though there'll be times when it's like, oh my gosh, that thing just may be so insane, but I'm not going to say anything to anybody. Um, And then I really think that your patience will pay off sooner than you think. I will let you know. (laughs) If you are generous to your mother-in-law in a way that she doesn't expect, I bet anything she will have your fucking back. And then the two of you can turn on your husband. So it's all good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm one of those people that like I vocalize how I'm feeling a lot. Like there's never a question on how I'm feeling. And so I'm sure that that's, that's caused a problem at home every time something goes wrong. And I'm like, nah, 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 nah. Hmm. oh, no, I think that's great advice. Because I, I think that I've been coming at it with a very um, aggressive uh, way. And it's obviously gotten me nowhere. <laughs> so I think coming at it in, you know, a more soft and gentle and understanding way. It's hard for me to suck up my pride, but I know I need to do it. <laughs> yes, I agree. And that's something that I definitely can work on. I think it's so easy to go to like the idea of like, oh, it's family or my marriage. I've been in this situation too. And it just feels like, you know, people trying to control a popular party member of the family. Emily, there's a way for you to get it all here. The house, Mexico. (laughs) Because I do love him and I want to continue with him. I'm willing to, to, you know, to do things maybe I'm not necessarily, I won't say comfortable, that's not the right word, but, you know, I may not be, you know, totally on board with that first, but I know that that would be helpful. You know, I need to change my point of view to make it all work and make the house be cohesive. Yeah, Emily, you got to play this like super smooth. <laughs> <laughs> and tell your husband, say like, you know, that like, I want to, I, I, I want to work on this and... I want to come up with some good strategies because I love you. I want this to work. And I know that you love me and you want this to work. And I love your parents. But tell him your plan and ask him if um, he could be understanding in your attempts here to be close to his parents. Um, I think it's also a little bit of, you know, a cultural thing because he is, you know, that's just how he's been raised and like, you know, family is everything. And so I think showing that appreciation and showing, you know, my willingness to to get on board, I think he would really appreciate that. Emily, I think I think it's a really romantic gesture because it is so generous. And it would be such a relief for him. And I think that heated moment where he chose his mom, those are momentary thing, you know. Emily, does that sound okay? realistically like I I think that's going to be the best way to go about it and I think I think deep down I know that's what needed to happen but I think I need to have someone just tell me and say this is what you need to do because my the way I've been doing it obviously is not working for anybody and it's 
it's making things worse. It sounds like you want to be in this and you just don't know what to do. Like you've been bossed around and like your house isn't your own and you had your own space and now you don't. And um, it feels like your husband is walking around eggshells with his mom and everything she does is amazing and she's critical of you in front of him and you don't have a sense of space right now at all. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That about sums it up. (laughs) (laughs) I bet that your mother-in-law, she'll recognize that you're trying. You know, she will. And, And that will mean a lot to her. And it will mean a lot to your husband. And your sweet father-in-law will just, maybe he'll be in front of the TV <laughs> watching the World Series. <laughs> He's just the cutest. I just love him. <laughs> hey, Emily, thank you so much for talking with yeah. us. Will you please let us know? And did we help? Yes, you did. You know, you can vent to your friends all day. You can vent to, you know, whatever. And you get all sorts of little bits of advice. But having someone who has that outside perspective giving that advice like that's really helpful because you know your friends they hype you up they're like get out you get away from him you know whatever but this helped me a lot because I did truly need to like hear that truth of like chill basically (laughs) that's gonna take it is just you know I've been so aggressive with it for so long and you know aggression doesn't get you anywhere so you know, she loves cooking, so that's something I'm definitely going yeah. to start picking her brain about. You can be proactive. She'll be flattered, and she'll be taken by surprise, and then she will have your back. Someone on my team. <laughs> <laughs> I come from a really tight family, and I think my parents kind of thought that uh, <laughs> that we were like these little golden children that deserved everything in the world. <laughs> it is disgusting but uh my brother and i joke about that a lot but it's been hurtful towards our relationships so you have to be like your own little army right now hey emily will you keep us posted i will definitely email you guys and give you guys an update (laughs) yeah let us know hey emily thanks so much it's very appreciated and i'm definitely gonna utilize that i hope we helped i don't know But I love you, and thank you. (laughs) Oh, love you too. Thank you. (laughs) Okay, bye, Emily. All right, bye. Eli, thank you again. Thank you for having me. Bye, Eli. 